We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Phil Chenier is going to be a guest on the podcast today. We'll ask Phil and get his thoughts about the Wizards win last night and see what he thinks about the matchup in an 8-1 first-round series against Philadelphia, which starts on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to tell everybody who Miss BJ was. Um, A lot of you have asked me, who the hell is Miss BJ and why is everybody talking about her? Um, I will explain uh, on the show today and will also uh, address why Morgan Moses got released yesterday. Why didn't they wait? Why didn't they wait until training camp? Why didn't they wait until somebody made an offer? Uh, Why did they move on from him so quickly? It's not like he was a huge cost right now. Um, It's not like from a financial or a cap perspective they needed to cut him yesterday. But we will address all of that on the show today. I start with the Wizards' win last night over the Pacers, which to me, it's really simple. Um, They played the kind of pace that they thrive in. You know, an up-tempo game, a game with uh, limited uh, participation defensively on either end, and that's what the game was last night. At times, it looked like a summer league game. They've played in a bunch of them over the last month, month and a half. That's where Russell Westbrook, that's where Bradley Beal, even a compromised Bradley Beal, and he's not 100%, that's where they thrive. You know, they've got to score 120, 125 points, and they've got to be in those kinds of games with 105, 107 possessions, um, and they've got a chance. That's not what happened the other night against Boston. The game slowed down a little bit. They didn't get anything in transition, and you saw Russell Westbrook really limited. You saw a team that runs a lot of ISO and a lot of two-man and against a team and a set defense. It doesn't work as much for them. They've got to play up-pace, higher-tempo basketball. If they do, they've got a chance to win. And last night they were playing a team without a good player in Karis LeVert Um, and, quite frankly, a team that – Um, really almost conscientious objectors to defense, which the Wizards are at times. And the game looked like an Urban Coalition Summer League game from way back in the 70s or 80s. And the Wizards, you know, they blew up in the third quarter. They had 48 points in a quarter. And it could have been about 56. They missed a couple of easy shots in that third quarter. But they had 48 Uh, in the quarter, ended up scoring 76 in the second half, and it might have been 96 had it been a competitive game because they really basically rested everybody over the final five, six minutes of the game. And by the way, that was a benefit of the game last night. You know, Beal only played 28 minutes, Westbrook played 33, Hachimura played 25. You know, you had a lot of guys in that fourth quarter, you know, Gill and Winston and Matthews and Bob. They were all in giving um, the starters a rest. It was a complete and utter one-sided beatdown. It was the tempo they loved to play. The pace was perfect, um, and they shot 58.1% from the field, 50% from behind the arc, and they blew out the Pacers 142 to 115. A couple of things from this game. First of all, I really thought that Rui Hachimura uh, 
played exceptionally well. If you haven't seen the one play where he is isolated at around the top of the key and there's a couple of dribbles and just inside the free throw line, he takes the ball with his long long arms and huge hands and he makes a move Dr. J style, which is what Marv Albert described. And he finishes off the glass. You know, it wasn't just that move. It's been Hachimura um, just overall over the last month. You know, he hasn't been healthy all the time. Um, But there is something very, very exciting about his game. You know, he's got the size. He's got the temperament. He's got super long arms and huge hands, which, by the way, is why there have been comparisons to Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi was a better long-range shooter and a better mid-range shooter than Rui at this point. Hachimura will guard, not at the Kawhi level. But I can start to see now some of those comparisons. When they drafted Hachimura, I actually wanted his teammate, Brandon Clark. I thought he would be the better selection. I actually like Tyler Hero in that draft as well um, before Hachimura. But I have to admit that I'm getting more and more excited as a Wizards fan about his potential as a you know as maybe a guy that could turn in to an excellent you know kind of all-star level player you know 18 points last night shot the three well um, in 25 minutes uh, and really is getting super confident offensively also by the way a guy that I actually think with more structure in a half court could be a really good player whereas I think Westbrook struggles with that. Uh, Two different players, obviously. Um, But I thought Hachimura played really well. I also thought that the centers in the game, you know, Len and obviously Lopez and Gafford, if you just, we've, we've talked about this, this is not the first time that they've essentially been like 12 of 14 combined from the floor. That's what they were in this game. You know, that they had combined, um, you know, 23 rebounds, and combined, they had six block shots. Like, that's a hell of a night. You know, 12 of 14 from the floor, 23 rebounds and six blocks, three centers totaling 48 minutes. And actually, last night, um, it didn't even uh, total 48 minutes because they didn't need anybody in there at the end of the game. Gafford's performance was what we've seen. You know, it was unbelievably productive in a short period of time. Last night, in 22 minutes, 15 points, 13 rebounds in 22 minutes. We've seen these games before, you know, uh, against Atlanta a few weeks ago, 16 points in 17 minutes. We had the game where he had 12 points, 10 rebounds in 14 minutes at Milwaukee. This was uh, one of the things we talked about when they made the trade. I loved him as a prospect coming out of Arkansas and was surprised he didn't get picked in the first round and then lost touch with sort of what his career was in Chicago. And you could see he wasn't getting much of an opportunity. But when he did, he was highly productive in limited minutes. I don't know the reason why he doesn't play 28 to 30 minutes and much more than the other two centers. Look, uh, Robin Lopez, Rolo, is their best low post option of the three centers. He's also the least capable as a defensive rim protector, whereas Len is a little bit better, and obviously Gafford is a big-time shot blocker. Big-time shot blocker. And the catch-and-dunk lob off the pick-and-roll is tailor-made for Gafford with the long arms, with the ridiculous hops, with the quick hops, and we saw a dunk show. And he's going to be a very high-level you know, uh, uh, percentage shooter because most of them are layups and dunks. You know, none of them are jump shots. None of them are jump. I mean, and, and Lopez is a high-percentage shooter with that jump hook or half-jump hook, half-hook shot, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Gafford, since joining the Wizards, is shooting 68% from the floor. It's really amazing the contribution he has had. But the three-headed center last night, even though it didn't even total 48 minutes, outstanding. I thought Neto for the first time in a few games was really comfortable, but he's another guy that excels with a lot of space on the floor, especially in transition. Now we get to Bertans. Bertans has really taken a beating from a lot of the fans 
um, because of his shooting performance uh, the other night and certainly his defense. Bottom line with Bertans is I'm glad he hit those final two shots. And this will be something that I ask Phil Chenier. Bertans is important to this team, guys. Very important. And I understand the dollars he got, and I understand the production and the inconsistency. But this team needs Bertans. And he should never stop shooting. That is what he is there for. I don't care how many shots in a row he has missed. If he is on the floor, he is to shoot the basketball if he's open. Now, I thought the other night he was terrible defensively, and he was 1 for 8 from the floor and 0 for whatever he was from behind the arc, 0 for 7, I think it was, in Boston. But all of those shots were contested. Bertans is another guy that that really benefits from an up-tempo game where Westbrook has the freedom and has the space in transition to drive, to force a defense to collapse, to throw a pass that ends up being the hockey assist to somebody else uh, that goes to Bertans trailing and spotting up for a wide-open three. I think Beal benefits from that significantly. Um, And obviously in transition, the bigs that run the floor well, Gafford being the main guy, really benefit from that. Bottom line is they won this game because the pace is a pace that they thrive in with, with Westbrook being the ringleader of that. When the game slows down, it's a problem for this team, period. It slowed down the other day against the Celtics, and I think it's going to slow down a lot against the 76ers. I personally don't think they have any chance in hell of winning a best of seven against Philadelphia. I think it's a five-game series. I think they can win a game. Um, But I think Joel Embiid is too good. They've got uh, shooters. Uh, Simmons is a beast. Uh, I'll be very interested to see how they play Joel Embiid. The only hope they have is that Philadelphia isn't, you know, healthy. And that Embiid and other players are a little bit banged up and not 100%. And... Somehow they miss a lot of shots, which starts transition. But they're well coached. They're going to be back on defense. They're going to force the Wizards against a set defense to try to execute. And I just don't think that I see that happening. You know, I I added this up um, uh, on the show the uh, uh, earlier this morning. The Wizards uh, have not scored under a hundred points in a game since April April 3rd. Since April 5th, over a stretch of, I think it's 23 games, including the last two, they have had 100 or more points, and they've averaged 122 a game. Tops in the league. You know, even their losses, you know, 143 points, 134 points, 124, 100. Like, even in their losses, they're scoring well over 120. I would predict right now that there are at least two games in the upcoming series where they don't score 100 points. Philadelphia is excellent defensively, and they are excellent perimeter-wise defensively. So I think that could be problematic, especially if Philly shoots the ball well and there aren't transition opportunities. But I think even off of misses, you're going to see a lot of forcing against a defense that gets back, not like last night, not like two nights ago or Tuesday night. Um, and turnovers will be huge for the Wizards. They can't turn it over trying to force pace, although they should be trying to force pace. Um, and Westbrook's decision-making will be huge in unless they're able to turn them over and get missed shots and get out and get shots up at the rim or from behind the arc. Uh, in seven or eight seconds or less in transition. I see 4-1. I see a couple of games that are really anemic offensively from a team that's been explosive offensively. But with all that said, they're going to go ahead and play the games anyway, and I'm excited that they're here. You know, the last thing about them right now is what does this mean big picture? They made the playoffs after being 15 games below 500. It's really a terrific story. You've got to give everybody credit. Westbrook being healthy was huge. Um, But what does it mean? I don't know what it means. I I think that Scott Brooks is Russell Westbrook's first choice. 
And I don't know if Ted and Tommy are going to defer to Russell Westbrook on Scott Brooks. Does he have to have a competitive series to keep his job? Did he already earn it by just getting to the playoffs? Or did they want to see a lot more this year? And does Tommy Shepard, as a first-time, full-time general manager, does he have somebody in mind? Because Scott was not his choice. Uh, For now, let's enjoy the fact that you get another week and a half of, you know, hoops and a team that will be really interesting to watch. Um, This time of year has not been uh, real favorable or flattering of Russell Westbrook's play in recent years. He's got Beal. Beal's got to be healthy. He's got an interesting center in Gafford. He's got a very... Uh, interesting and improving power forward in Hachimura and another couple of pieces out there. Um, I don't see it over Philadelphia. Not that I would have seen it over Brooklyn. Uh, I think Milwaukee would have been the better uh, opportunity because they're a team that's going to play high level of pace and possessions, um, and that would have been interesting to watch. Uh, But congrats to them for getting in. You know, Some of you probably didn't want it to happen. I know some of you hardcore Wizards fans, which I am, were, you know, would have preferred an obvious down season to move on from Scott Brooks, and this is going to make maybe the decision a, a bit more difficult. Maybe it will. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to look forward to watching these games. I think there will be five of them. It would be great if there were six or seven of them. Uh, all right. Up next, Phil Chenier will be our guest, and then I will explain to you afterwards who Miss BJ is and a thought on why Morgan Moses was released yesterday instead of the possibility that existed that they would wait until there was a trade offer for him. All of that coming up after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Wizards hammered the Pacers last night, 142-115, and they've got their game one Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, against the Philadelphia 76ers at Wells Fargo Arena. Best of seven, Wizards are back in the postseason, and one of my all-time favorite people and one of my all-time favorite players when I was a kid, 
Phil Shinier joins us right now <laughs> to talk about this team. And I, I want to remind everybody, Phil is doing a really entertaining podcast with Buck. Uh, it's called On the Road with Buck and Phil. You can get it anywhere you get a podcast. And, of course, you can follow Phil on Twitter at P. Uh, Shinier 45. By the way, uh, so on the radio show this morning, did you know that this was the first win or go home game, you know, following the regular season, whatever you want to call the play in? It wasn't actually the postseason, but it was the first right. time in 42 years that this franchise, that this team won something equivalent to a game seven, a win or, or go home game. And 42 years ago, almost to the day, was the night that you guys came back in Game 7 against the Spurs at Capital Center. I mean, people don't remember this, but the Spurs were in the Eastern Conference then. You right, guys were the right. defending champions, and Bobby D hit the shot from the baseline, and Elvin got a big block. And I mean, the Iceman averaged like 40 for the series, but that was a really controversial game for San Antonio Spurs fans because they thought they were hosed in the game by the officiating. <laughs> well, you know, um that's that's uh I mean that's playoff basketball. Um Do you I mean, remember was, do you remember I, that night? You were hurt. Yeah, no, I actually played you, a okay. Bit. But you were yeah. you were you, you were having your back issues. Right, right. Uh but I I um I come back, I think they activated me during a little bit. I didn't play much. Uh, and may not have even played in that game. Um, I don't remember, but uh, I do remember that uh, that was another series. We were down three, uh, one, three, three one, yeah. and uh, came back and and made it happen. So uh, Bobby D was spectacular. How about him going into the Hall of Fame? Oh, too, so, by the way, I'm so happy Cooper. for that. Yeah, yeah, but that that was a real good rivalry because, uh, like you said. Uh, not only Iceman, they had a guard by the name of James Silas. James Silas. Who could really play. And uh, then they had Dr. K, of course. And so they had some real good matchups. And, um, but Ice was just spectacular, man. He was, he was hard to deal with. And, and I think uh, that was just about the time Kevin Grevy was getting hurt. Tommy was nicked up a little bit. So uh, by the time we got to the uh, series against... Uh, Seattle, you uh, guys we were, were all out. nicked up. Yeah, yeah. And worn out because you had gone to seven games against the Hawks and then had come back from the 3-1 against the Spurs and you won game one against Seattle. I remember Larry Wright made like you know a couple free throws at the end of the game to win it, and then mm-hmm. they ran off four straight. You know, I've never told you this, but you know, well, I have told you this before. But you were one of my favorite players. You and I used to pre- I used to do biggies, you know, turnaround fadeaway jump shot, you know, in the backyard, and I would do your you know catching off a screen, shooting the jump shot because you had such a picture perfect, you know, jump shot. You know, I was shooting a push. I was shooting a push shot I was only about eight years old then but I I can remember that year and just rooting so hard for you to get back in there and and be healthy and play well and you know you you had back issues at a time where they couldn't do anything with a back well that's right Kevin because it was funny about 10 years later uh didn't Doug um um Doug Williams with with the Redskins. Did yeah. he have back surgery? He may before? have. Yeah, and, and it was like he was out maybe three months, and then he was back into action, and that was football. But, yeah, it was not long after I had my surgery that they started having the microsurgeries on the back. So they didn't they didn't have as much trauma. My surgeries, I mean, I, I've got a three-inch scar where they go in, they have to move tissue, they have to move muscle, and so that that calls for a whole lot of rehabbing uh, after that. And uh, you know, not long after the following year, I got traded to Indiana. I was there for probably a little over a month, and then my back went out again, and I had my second surgery. So you know, it, it, we all at different times get these signs where our body is breaking down, and uh, you know, you don't want to see the end, but you know, you you know it's happening. 
You know, I've talked about with Tommy and with Cooley before. I've had two of those lower L5-S1 microdiscectomy Mm -hmm. surgeries over the last Mm -hmm. 10, 12 years. And, you know, they're they're routine surgeries. You know, you've got the herniated discs and they go in and it's 45 minutes and you feel like a new person. When you were having these back issues in the late 70s, first of all, were they herniated disc issues? Is that what you had? Yeah, both of them were, and the one was L4, L5. The other one was L5, S1 right. on the other side. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, you know, like I said, it's just your body breaking down. Um, and uh, You know, that's they, what they, Tiger they, Woods has had. You know, Tiger Woods eventually had to get the fusion, but he had mm-hmm. three L5, S1 discectomies and then wow. ended up having the fusion. Um, yeah. and you don't want to have the fusion because you think of, of of losing some of your mobility, and that's what they explained to me. When they fuse those vertebrae together, then you don't have the flexibility or the motive, uh, uh, mobility that you uh, you know would normally have. And uh, so I elected not to have the fusion, thinking that this would be the, each one would be the last one. But after the second one, I haven't. Haven't had any. I mean, you know, you have that morning acheness and, right. and, and pain and whatnot. But uh, you know, it's such is life. That's what happens. So yeah, it, that's exactly right on the fusion. Because I remember with Tiger Woods, I had um, I had the orthopedic surgeon that actually did my surgeries, surgeries, and he's become a good friend. And he said the, the big concern is you lose flexibility and the explosiveness. Right. And for somebody like me at my age now, who cares? But for Tiger Woods, but but Tiger really didn't lose that much. But for a basketball player, much different. Anyway, nobody wants to hear about our back surgeries. But <laughs> no, I just, uh-uh. but I think it's fascinating because you were in an era where these surgeries were in their infancy, yeah, and they yeah, were, you yeah. know. And remember, people thought, oh, back surgery. Who the hell knows what'll happen? And nowadays, it's just so much different. Um, right, right. Like I said, I mean the the the. They do microsurgery. They go in. It's a little, couple yeah. of little needles, and they go in and take care of it. Yeah, exactly. All right, so before we get to the 76ers, what did you mm-hmm. think of last night? Very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, you know, I, I tell you what, uh, we, we, we did something on Twitter last night. Buck and I have done it uh, the last two games, and uh, we take callers, and we you know go back and forth with the callers and have fun. Halftime. The first thing I noticed that when you combine the production of the three guys at the center spot, Lynn Lopez and uh, Gafford, they were a perfect eight for eight from the field. They had a combined, I want to say, eight nine rebounds. Um, you know, I think Gafford had all dunks, and that was big. And the other thing that was big was they weren't turning the ball over and they weren't fouling. Uh, so those were things that stood out. And then I, I, the, the obvious with uh, Westbrook doing what he does and Bradley. Uh, but but I was telling my, my son, I was saying, you know, it's interesting that, I mean, you clearly see that Brad is not the player that he was all season long. And he's, he's just kind of pacing himself, but but just not able to really be explosive. Um, I mean, he's, he made some gigantic moves out there but it just it, it seemed like it was almost uh planned on his part so um uh, but but a real good win uh, i thought the Rui played really well and when he Me plays too. well that that really is a good sign for this team and and defensively i mean even though you had Sabonis with the triple double he was virtually he was basically ineffective. I mean, he had a great stat line and whatnot, but I just thought to start each half, uh, Lynn made it very uncomfortable for him, put the body on him, and he was laterally quick enough to stay in front of him. So, you know, Sabonis couldn't turn the corner and get to the rim. So he had nothing easy going on all game long. Yeah, I, I think I agree with all those things, and I want to talk more with you about Hachimura here in a moment. But I, I said um, at the beginning of this podcast, as it related to the game last night, for me, and I've been, and I've really thought this for a while, especially after watching them 
um, last night in particular, on Tuesday night in particular. The bottom line with this team is if the tempo and the pace is up-tempo, up-paced, they're going to thrive offensively, and it really doesn't matter how they defend. And if the game slows down, they're in big trouble. I, I, I think it's it like at a high level, that's the easy way to explain this team. Last night, the Pacers defensively weren't very good. The Wizards were taking the ball out of the net. They were taking it off the rim. They were taking it off a turnover. And Russ, in an open court game, um, they're all every single but everybody benefits on that team if you don't have to face a set defense. Well, I mean, that's the NBA in a nutshell, really. Uh, because, I mean, these teams do such a good job scouting and planning and setting their, their defense. The fact that you basically can, can zone up and you can load up on, on strong sides, you know, if you know what your rotations are, you know, in half court, you can make things very difficult unless you have that dynamics, explosive uh, one-on-one player, you know, uh, AD, uh, you know, Bradley Beal, you know these guys can break the defense down regardless, but um, I, you know when when they're rebounding well, and they were I want to say a plus twelve, plus thirteen, yeah, on the boards for the night. That says a lot, and that that and the rebounding is what ignites you know a fast transition, yeah. yeah. So and you get numbers, you get them in a position where they can't rotate. Uh, there's oftentimes miscommunications and somebody's giving up a layup <coughs> excuse me so no it, it 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 worked out very well that uh, you know and, and yeah you i mean you want to have that pace going up and down but you know when you defend and you get good stops and you get uh, your opponents uh out of position you know, maybe maybe they're lopsided. Maybe only one player is back. And now all of a sudden, you have a two on one, three on one. Um, that always works in your in your favor. Yeah, and I guess what I would just add to that is I think more so for this team and more so for this point guard and Russ. Mm-hmm. You know, they run they they run more ISO than any team in the league. And when you face a set defense and you got three to four guys standing. And one guy trying to make a play, it, it it's even that much harder, you know, yeah, to to, yeah. to generate anything. And the rebounding thing, it certainly helps when the other team misses fifth misses fifty nine shots. They only shot forty one percent. One one other thing, Kevin. You yeah. know, offensively, the Wizards are getting better on their attack with the pick and roll because you've got, you got these guys, especially Gafford, yeah, yeah Gafford. with the lobs, exactly. and even Lynn. We've seen him yeah. catch a few lobs and and throw them down. So those are just high percentage shots. They're they're back breaking in terms of uh, demoralizing your opponents because you know it's such an easy shot and it's such a you know it's a, almost a hundred percent shot and uh, you know they're getting very very effective with that. Um, I wanted to talk about Hachimura. Uh, mm-hmm. I. The move that he had last night where he took yeah. off just inside the free throw line with those long arms and those big mitts. Uh-huh. And he, you know, I, I think actually Marv on the broadcast said that was Dr. J-esque. Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I, you know, he's been compared to Kawhi with the long arms and the big hands too. It wasn't just that move. I've just seen him get more and more confident. Obviously, we mm-hmm. want out want him out there healthy. But what is his, you know, potential? What's his upside? Boy, it's it's unlimited, I I believe. Uh and I don't know if you notice this too. He's done that with the left hand as well. Yes. We've seen him catch a ball with one hand and and continue to the basket without putting the other hand on it and dunk it with the left hand. So he's got huge, huge hands, and he's got great mobility and flexibility in and strength in those hands. And, and he puts the ball on the floor well. I've been noticing, especially the last month or so, whenever he's gotten off to a good start, it, first of all, remember how we used to do when we had the big three and we had Gortat and 
the first two or three plays, they would throw the ball into Gortat. Every single, like they were, every single yeah, start like of the game. Like they were yeah. establishing him. Right. And then he may not see the game, the ball the rest of the game. <laughs> they right. were jacking up long. Rui seems to be that player for them. They, it seems like they constantly try and get him that mid-range shot. And when he makes the first two or three, like last night he made uh, two threes. He made yeah. his first two threes, which was huge for him. And defensively, I see him fearless. He had a really good game against, uh, was, it, was, was it LeBron? It seemed like somebody that was, maybe it was Kawhi. It was somebody that, uh, that uh, you know, I mean, one of the big, yeah, I big can't players remember. in the yeah. league. And uh, he was fearless against them, and, and he didn't back off. And he's got size, he's got strength, and he's got quickness. That combination is really, really exciting. And I just want him to be more consistent so badly. But this is only his second year, and 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 he has shown progress and he has shown improvement. It, it's just my desire to see what that next stage is going to be for him. Yeah, he's another guy, too. When they get into transition and he's filling one of those lanes, I mean, he's mm-hmm. a finisher. Um, yeah. And and that that's exciting to see. You know, the criticism of the, of the last two games has been, you know, Davis Bertans with the big contract. And I think the other night against Boston, Phil, Every look, it was not a good game for him, and it was a bad game defensively for him. But every single shot he took pretty much was contested because they were in the half court. And he's another guy I think that benefits from transition and getting more open looks. Mm-hmm. Last night, I was so happy to see those last two go through the net. You were a shooter. You know how important it is to keep firing it. Isn't that a guy and an example of if you're coaching him, hey, Davis, if you're in there, you can. You got to keep firing it, right? It doesn't matter if he's Kevin, 0 for 6. <laughs> Kevin, it's funny. I was having this argument with my son yesterday, and uh, was the same thing. I said, well, he he's in there to shoot the ball. He right. gets open. He's got to shoot it. He said, "Yeah, but he needs to do this and that." And that. <laughs> but that's 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 his forte. That's what he does, and and he you can't lose you can't lose confidence in what your strength is, you know. Um, and and that's that's easier said than done. I mean, there's been plenty of times when I've kind of in the back of my mind had that voice talking to me, you know. Well, she, you know, you're not making your shots. Should you shoot it? You know. But you get yourself open, and and Kevin, think about this. We've seen Davis when he's going. We've seen him hit a lot of contested shots. Yes, from from deep, from deep. You know, so you know he's got to be himself, but he's got to find a way to relax. And I, you know, I mean, this is this this was the first big game of this nature for him. Now he's actually in the playoffs. And for this team to be successful, they need him to have a couple of those stretches where he just can't miss. And, I mean, think about how many times he's gotten actually fouled on some of those three-point shots. Have he's you, gone to the line three times. Have you seen – I haven't seen a guy that's lost confidence. Like, he's ready to fire even if he's missed four or five in a row. Yeah. I, no, I couldn't say that, but like I said – Sometimes those voices you don't see those voices, but they're there, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and they, they have an effect. So, like you just said, I was very happy as well to see t- those two shots, the, those threes that go- went in, and it's it's such a pretty shot, and oh. it, it hits nothing but net when he when I mean you hardly sometimes you have to look to somebody and say did that go in or what I mean it just goes through so cleanly. And, and Phil, for a guy who's 6'10", the release yep. is so quick, too. And it doesn't yep. it doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's a quick release, too. Um, I think they're going to need him in this next series oh, to be competitive. All right, so yep. let's talk about that because I know you've got to run. But they've got the 76ers. They've got Embiid. They've got Ben Simmons. I think this is a really difficult matchup. What do you see? Well, it, it is. I mean, I mean, either them or Brooklyn. Neither one of them is going to be easy. Um, but it's going. I like the the fact that we've got 18 fouls, and we've got three very um, effective players 
that are going to try and bang up with Embiid. Now, obviously, he's bigger, stronger, and better than Sabonis, but Sabonis is a pretty good player, no question about it. And um, so that's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of Hachimura on Ben Simmons, even though Ben is listed as a guard. But, you know, in terms of size, again, the strength, the combination of strength and quickness is really beneficial and works in Rui's favor there. I mean, so that could be an interesting matchup. And I'm really happy that they play Sunday and not Saturday, another day's rest for, right. for, Brad. for Brad. I tell you what, Kevin, I've been, you know, I've really been holding my breath, you know, because those hamstrings, everybody will tell you how temperamental they can be. And you make just the wrong move at the wrong time. And, you know, that thing can go again. And, um, you know, soft just, tissue. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I tough. just want to see Bradley being able to really assert himself uh, like he has all season long. Don't you think they've got to, um, like the other night, I really felt like I understood Kemba Walker was on the floor and Evan Fournier was on the floor and they had shooters everywhere. But I just thought I would have doubled Tatum and said, I'm getting the ball out of his hands. Um, they, I, I, I don't know if you felt the same way or not, but I, but I'm curious with Embiid. I, I think you've, I think on the post you got to double him, and I, I love Gafford and I love his length and his shot blocking ability, but off of Simmons in particular, you you got to double him, right? I think you look for your opportunities to double. I think if you leave somebody in the corner to do that, but if you've got somebody cutting through and you can be in a help position and you can pinch him real quick, you know, and make him have to make a great pass and a quick decision, you can force some turnovers that way. But uh, I've always been of the idea that, that the thinking that you don't, you don't create an open shot to double-team somebody. I look for, look for those opportunities to, to, you know, to jam somebody or double-team or pinch them, however you want to refer to it. So... What? And, I, and I, the other thing I think, both Lopez and Lynn have the mass that they can bang yeah. with, with uh, Embiid a little bit. And who knows, maybe we end up getting Embiid into foul trouble, getting him to kind of play a little passive on the defensive side. Um, what's the best they can do in this series? Do you actually think well, they can win it? The best they could do is win it, yeah. Okay, I mean, but do you really believe they can? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think the odds are with them. But, yeah, I mean, Kevin, you you got to look at all of the – I mean, if these three centers play out of their mind, if Bradley, you know, that leg is really strong and he's able to assert himself, keeping – did he have a 50-point game again? He, he had 50-point game. He had 60. I know it was a loss. 57 a loss. at the end of three quarters. He had three in yeah, the fourth quarter. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, uh, Russell is playing much better than he did early on in the season when, when they played. You know, we get a top-notch series from, you know, remember that uh, the the series that we had against Boston in 75 where Spoonie (laughs) just played out of his mind. You know, I mean, you have those situations that, that, you know, uh, that come about. And, I mean, is it probable? No, it's not probable, but it's certainly possible. Well, the series I remember was the 76 series in 78, the championship year, and you went in and stole game one yep. from that team. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, and I think that's really when Mitch Kupchak really started to uh, to play well uh, off the bench, um, mm-hmm. if I recall. He and Ballard, actually. Yes, and Greg oh, Ballard also. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, that that's what happens in these series. You have players that catch fire and, and – get into a real good confidence and a good groove and anything can happen. That's why you play. That's why seven game series is so fun. And if it gets down to a game seven, you know, well, it, al- the air. it always reveals. That's the great thing about the Absolutely. NBA and best of seven. It reveals the best team when you play a mm-hmm. best of seven, a one and done. Anything can happen. A best of seven reveals the best team. Uh, Embiid, by the way, 
George McGinnis is no Embiid. If we're comparing the centers from those different eras, man, Joel is something else. Um, I always love catching up with you, and I'm really happy for the success of the podcast. Um, good luck with it. Everybody, you can listen to it anywhere you get a podcast. It's Buck and Phil back together. Obviously, we'd love it if they were calling these games uh, as well, and it sounds like you guys are doing some good post-game stuff, so check out Phil and Buck on Twitter. Follow them and listen to the podcast. Thanks, Phil, as always. Yeah. Anytime. Enjoyed it. Phil Chenier, everybody. Uh, one of my favorite people and one of the nicest people uh, there is. Uh, listen to his in Buck's podcast. Um, it's great. They had Kevin Porter, for you old-time Bullets fans, on the show last week. And they also had Ron Rivera on the show uh, that I think is coming up. Uh, I think they've already recorded that. So listen to that. Uh, who is Miss BJ? Uh, who is that person that worked for the Washington football team that people have been asking about? Uh, that and more on Morgan Moses right after this word from one of our sponsors. Looked at Twitter last night and must have had a dozen people asking me, Kevin, who's Miss BJ? Uh, so I'm going to give you the answer right now. Uh, Miss BJ was the receptionist, administrative assistant, front desk, first person you saw when you walked in the front doors of Redskins Park in Ashburn. Uh, Not just this Redskins Park, but the old one as well. She was with the organization for 28 years. I saw the 28 years. I actually thought it was longer than that. Uh, Michael Phillips wrote uh, from the Richmond Times-Dispatch, this one will make more news inside the building than out. The longtime secretary at the team's facility in Ashburn, Miss BJ, was let go by the team this week. She had been there 28 years. She was fired early in Dan Snyder's tenure, but there was an uproar and she returned. Um, Lots of folks sent packing over the past couple of weeks, but she was particularly loved by players and was an institution in the building. You know, these are uh, sort of inside baseball um, firings, and and, and we know that over the last week, you know, uh, probably 19 or 20-plus people in the organization were let go. But this is the one that for a lot of players, a lot of former players, a lot of people in that building, a lot of people in media – You know, people like me who actually worked out of the park at times with our radio studio, um, literally uh, no more than 15 to 20 feet from that front desk um, and that front reception area where Miss BJ BJ sat. Um, She was just the kindest and the most welcoming first face for an organization that once you got past her, Uh, wasn't as nice and welcoming. Um, And Maddie Cooley, who is Chris uh, Cooley's wife, um, along with Chris, put a GoFundMe uh, page together for Miss BJ. And Maddie wrote about Miss BJ, and I will share what Maddie wrote. Please join us in supporting Miss BJ Blanchard. As many of you know, Miss BJ's been a fixture at the front desk of the Washington football team for the past 28 years. Sadly, we recently got word that Miss BJ was informed by the team that effective immediately, her position as receptionist has been eliminated. Miss BJ could always be counted on for a warm good morning and smile and a hug when it was needed. She was the proudest member of the team and a diehard loyal fan and loved being a part of the burgundy and gold. She is one of the best people we've ever met. She never has a bad word, to, never had a bad word to say about anybody and always believed in the team even when times were tough. She was always willing to help the team, players, coaches, and colleagues alike in any way possible, including wrapping quite a few holiday gifts for players to bring home to their families. You all know who you are, parenthetically. With all that said, we would like to show Miss BJ how much she has meant to all of her alumni players and coaches, her current players and coaches, and all her current and former colleagues. Our goal with this GoFundMe is to help provide her some security and ease her mind as she looks forward to the future. Let's support Miss BJ and show her how much she has meant to all of us for all of these years. We all love her and we will miss being able to see her every day. The park will never be the same Without her, 
They had a goal, Chris and Maddie did, of raising $5,000. As of recording this podcast, they're already up to $42,000. So for most of you, you didn't know who she was. For a lot of us, we've known her as one of the nicest people. And for the people that really worked for the organization and the players that saw her every day, they adored her. And so that's who Miss BJ is, and we wish her the best, and I think it's awesome what Chris and Maddie uh, have done with this GoFundMe page. So if you want to participate with one of truly uh, the few of people that have been out there for the last 30 years that were truly likable and helpful and kind and giving and also a huge fan of the team... um, Let's take care of Miss BJ GoFundMe, uh, which was created uh, a day ago. Uh, go participate uh, if you feel um, like you want to. Uh, one last thing on the show today uh, before we say goodbye. Um, actually, two things. Number one, there's this video, this TMZ video of Dan Snyder uh, and Jason Wright uh, out in L.A. Go- going to visit SoFi Stadium um, looking at stadiums, and there's an inter- interview of Dan. You can find it on on Twitter or anywhere on the internet. Just you know, just uh, search Dan Snyder, uh, L.A. Dan Snyder, Jason Wright, L.A. Um, it's a two minute video where he's interviewed by a TMZ reporter. He's asked a lot of questions. By the way, he's very casually dressed, and and um, he's with Jason, and they're you know they're out there touring SoFi Stadium in L.A., and they're in the midst with twelve others of looking at stadiums, and he's talking about twenty twenty seven and this new, new stadium that will be somewhere here, and he's asked about where, and really the the reporter clearly had this understanding of how important D.C. is as the location for the next stadium, and the reporter was pushing him on that. And he just said, you know, D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and didn't, you know, was completely noncommittal. Now, Jason Wright jumped in and said that, you know, they're out there absorbing all they can. They're going to head to Europe to look at stadiums over there. But he said about D.C., Maryland, and Virginia that they've got great partners in all three of those jurisdictions that want to work with us. Okay, let's hope that's true. Let's hope D.C. wants to work with them. I can't imagine that anybody's willing to pay for anything, you know, other than maybe some infrastructure around the stadium. Uh, But we'll see. Bottom line is it's got to be in D.C. As far as the name goes, uh, they were very noncommittal on that. I guess it was a very unremarkable interview, Um, but we haven't heard Dan Snyder's voice or seen him since Happy Thanksgiving. I think it's been that long. Uh, Last thing on the show today, why did Morgan Moses get released yesterday? Why didn't they wait? I I can't answer that question. I don't know why they didn't wait. I don't know why they decided um, to release him yesterday with Jaron Christian. Uh, Obviously, we had the story earlier this week that came as a big surprise that they told him, go seek a trade. They didn't give him much time to seek a trade. They released him yesterday. They must have figured out they weren't going to get much back for him. Look, my position on this has been this week, please stop getting overly wrapped up in Morgan Moses. Okay, we're not talking about like one of the best tackles in the game. I understand that he was a good player and he was an available player and he played hurt and there were a lot of aspects. This team has sucked for a long time and Morgan Moses was a part of it. I told you yesterday and maybe even the day before, they loved Cosme. I, the first thing I was told when they be, before that Friday, they loved Deami Brown. They loved Sam Cosme. They really loved Deami Brown, and they hoped to get those two players. And when they drafted Cosme, they you know I had somebody tell me he's going to start. Now my assumption was he's going to start at left tackle on that day, and I said that I tweeted it out. I said they drafted him to be the starting left tackle. Uh, I was wrong. I think they drafted him to be the starting right tackle because they signed Leno, and it looks like Leno's going to be penciled in his left tackle. But I think they believe that Cosme's going to start at right tackle Um, and that Cosme is younger and cheaper, and he's going to be young for a while, and they want to play him. He's a second-round pick, and Ron Rivera's told you, you know, these draft choices that we draft in the first and second round, they need to play. 
and they need to play sooner rather than later. You know, last year they got rid of a veteran in Adrian Peterson. Why? Because they really believed in Antonio Gibson, and they wanted to get him on the field right away. So there's a lot going on here. There is, A, um, the understanding that they may have players that are equal to him, if not better. B, um, they want to continue to get younger and they don't want to, you know, this is, you know, uh, clearly a, a team that's getting younger by the day, by the way. This is not, okay, here's what this isn't. And I think I talked about this yesterday. This is not a purge of everything that was Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen. Okay, it's just, that's not true. First of all, when you come in and you start, you know, overhauling a roster and you're in your first year, none of those players are going to be yours. It's pretty much impossible for them to have been yours. They're all the old regime's players. But there's a lot of players that are sticking around. You know, Terry McLaurin is sticking around. Chase Ruye, Deron Payne, John Allen, I think, is going to get a contract extension. Uh, Matt Ioannidis, uh, Landon Collins, he hadn't gone anywhere. Do you think that they think he was overpaid? Maybe they do. Jack Del Rio seems excited about Collins and the prospects for him this year. The, the, the kicker, Hopkins, certainly wasn't their guy. If anybody should have been gone or certainly tested, it would have been him. Cam Sims, Wes Martin, lots of players from the old regime are still on this team. Overhauling a roster from a team that went 3-13 and two years ago and 7-9 and last year, even though they got to the playoffs at 7-9, and is not unusual. Now, the Morgan Moses thing, I believe that Morgan is a player that they probably respected from an availability, a playing hurt standpoint, thought he was a good player, but that they feel like they've done as well with Cosme, who's younger, and they think he can be a better player. And I also think that they want everybody to be bought in to the Rivera and staff way. They are trying to change the culture in this organization, and that is not by any stretch of the imagination an indication that he's like a bad culture guy. No, 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 no. But I think they want people bought in and not asking questions and just doing what they're told rather than having sort of their own ideas as a very bright guy. And I think they just thought it was time to move on. Again, I don't understand the timing of it. Why not wait? Why not wait till training camp? Why not wait to see if somebody's got a, a significant injury in a preseason game and all of a sudden needs a right tackle? And maybe you can extract a fourth or fifth rounder out of it. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very su- big surprise this week. Now, they didn't cut Deron Payne. They didn't cut Terry McLaurin here. Okay? They cut Morgan Moses. I, I think they're going to survive this. Some of you are like, yeah, but what if? What if they get hurt? And what? Well, you know, if they get banged up and they're short on offensive linemen as a four and four football team in late October or early November and they've got a big game coming up and they've got to put somebody in there that they just signed off the street and he doesn't play well and they lose the game, they're going to look bad for doing this. But I think Ron Rivera has a couple of things in mind above winning big now. And that is, number one, instilling, you know, implementing his culture his way. Number two is, I think he wants to continue to get younger with more positional flexibility. So there you go. Cosme, starting right tackle. I'd be surprised if it's not. It could be Lucas. It could be the two former Bears, Leno and Lucas. Put it this way, even if Morgan Moses was like a guy that's got all the answers and somehow Matt's goes like, ah, man, you know, it's one thing if the guy's great, but he's just okay. Um, but the bottom line is if he were so much better than what they have, he'd be here with two years left on his deal at $7.75 million dollars. If they thought that he was much better than what they had, he'd still be here. Because he's certainly not a problem at all. 
I think they just believe they have better or equal and younger and cheaper. They now have roughly 20 million in cap space now. And I think, you know, part of this also will lead to a contract extension for somebody. And my guess would be John Allen um, between now and opening day or much sooner than that. All right, that's it for the day. Uh, enjoy the weekend. I'll be back on Monday. We'll have a Wizard 76ers game one to talk about. We'll have two more Caps games to talk about. They've got game four tonight, game five on Sunday, um, back at home, uh, and probably a lot more related to the football team. Have a great weekend. Back on Monday.